Welcome to Joseph, the audiobook series. This is the audio series of the new novel, Joseph Comes to Town, when the religious right becomes religiously wrong. I'm the author and narrator of Joseph, Paul Swearingen. For more on Joseph Comes to Town, make sure and listen in to my exclusive commentaries on the NPE Patreon community page and join in on our discussion group nights where you can share your thoughts on the book and the concepts it's raising for discussion and ask any question of me you'd like. And for more from me, you can read my blogs and hear my podcasts at the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast page at npepodcast.com. That's NPE for Nonpartisan Evangelical NPEpodcast.com. Now to our book. Here comes Joseph Comes to Town, the audiobook series, When the Religious Right Becomes Religiously Wrong. Chapter 17 A Gala Event. Saul and Patty stepped from their car and were immediately greeted by a bevy of friends and acquaintances. Patty returned the greetings, but pulled back to Saul's arm as Matthew McGinnis approached. Hey, Saul, said Matthew, with a punch on Saul's shoulder. You clean up good. Patty had dusted off the tuxedo Saul generally wore only for this and other rare occasions. He did look good, Patty thought. She knew, however, Matthew's compliment was more of his usual backhanded humor towards her husband. Patty brushed a piece of lint off Saul's shoulder before receiving a gratuitous hug from an overly friendly Sandy, Matthew's wife. You look absolutely ravishing, Patty, said Sandy as she mashed their faces together. Saul had complimented Patty on her appearance as they were preparing to leave the house, and Patty had to admit she did feel quite pretty in her black silk dress and the modest accessories purchased at Bennigan's Jewelry, where they offered a clergy discount. Patty knew Saul's income from leading a megachurch and his radio fame brought in enough to afford better, but Patty had learned to keep the visuals of their circumstances muted in front of the offering givers of BCC. In a world where the Bible said God looked at inward appearance, Patty found it very ironic. The outward meant so much to their church people. Matthew, it's good to see you, Saul said, patting the party leader on the arm. Wouldn't miss the biggest party of the year, Matthew chortled. He began to greet others in the crowd. Patty angled her face to Saul and bulged her eyes to show this was a process she suffered through rather than enjoyed. He gave a knowing smile. Thanks for your sacrifice, Pats. Patty's attention moved to the front of the museum. It was colorfully decorated and brightly lit with huge canned lights. Those lights could be seen from a great distance in every direction. Matthew was right about the event. The Beckering Historical Museum, an art gallery annual fundraiser, was the one event of the year that drew almost everyone. Patty and Saul knew the drill. The wealthy and influential would come and make their black tie appearance, would be recognized for their donations, most lower than was let on, Patty surmised, and then would leave at an appropriate time. The less well-heeled would come dressed in business casual, ready to enjoy a great party. It would be a night of dancing and frivolity in the atmosphere of art and history in this underfunded yet well-preserved historical venue. From the best Christians to the worst sinners, it was a night to be out on the town. Oh God, here he comes, said Patty as they entered the museum and Hal Beatty approached with a scotch in his left hand. Nice penguin suit, Pastor, Hal said, his face a bit too close to Saul's. 
Patty watched Saul nod to Hal's wife, Betty, who was dressed to impress. Nice fur, said Saul, pointing to Betty's stole. Copenhagen fur, most expensive on the market, said Hal, leaning in for a stage whisper. Thing set me back 750 bucks. Wow, Saul exclaimed. Patty saw him steal a knowing look at her. What a blessing from God. Or a blessing from Beatty Development, Hal said in a mocking tone, speaking out of the corner of his mouth. Betty, take Patty for a libation. The men need to talk business. Hal took a swig of scotch and motioned towards the bar with his glass as a sign to his wife. Patty sighed through the pasted-on smile she wore. Come on, Betty Beatty, Patty joked at her friend's unfortunate married name. Let's leave the smart men to do their thing. Give me a Coke to go with yours, please, hon, said Saul. Patty knew this was Saul's way of suggesting she drink non-alcoholic drinks tonight. Patty felt patronized by her husband and disregarded by Hal, despite having become used to the gender discrimination still celebrated in Christian circles. She was an Ohio State Honors graduate with a business degree and was every bit as brilliant as Hal. She simply had chosen motherhood and serving as a pastor's wife over the corporate world. Wine spritzer for me, said Betty to the bartender as the two women squeezed to the bar. And for you, Patty dear? Coke, please. Patty met Betty's fake smile with one of her own. The two women chit-chatted for only a few moments before Betty whisked off to mingle with other friends, leaving Patty alone at the bar. Why don't you put a little rum in it as well, she said, handing her glass to the bartender, and keep that between you and me. Patty wasn't wired to be a pastor's wife. Her mother was a fiercely independent woman who had coached Patty to never need a man to make her way in life. Patty's father was an Easter and Christmas Catholic, which would have been Patty's religious story had she not been dragged by a friend to a life-changing high school youth camp. The people at the camp talked about God as if he were real, not some statue figurine, and Patty became enamored with the idea of knowing God in a more real way. Today, this was still the longing of Patty's heart, even as she'd become disenchanted with so much in the evangelical church. It had been true, Patty had decided after that to only date young men who attended her college Methodist church. And that's where she met Saul, who swept her off her feet with his good looks, great hair, and attractive swagger. When Saul decided to go into pastoral ministry, Patty put her career goals aside and became his supportive wife. What a mistake, she said to herself, looking at the bottom of her empty glass, then sliding it towards the bartender to ask for a refill. Patty had pain from the loss of a child, but just as painful was the loss of the husband she had known and loved so much. Saul's heart for God had been changed by his constant exposure to the evangelical life. His efforts to build and grow his church and his constant delving into politics hardened Saul and made him constantly disappointed and angry. Oh, he still loved her well enough. She simply didn't like the man she saw now as much as the one she'd married. Despite all signs to the contrary, Patty yet held out hope. The old soul she knew would one day reappear. Hey, Mom, you look great, said Isaac, approaching Patty with Joseph beside him. She couldn't resist thinking how handsome her son looked, wearing his hair long tonight and dressed in a tan dress shirt and brown khaki pants. Isaac leaned in and gave her a kiss on the cheek. I hope you have mints tonight, he whispered in her ear. Patty covered her mouth. It's only one little rum and coke, Isaac, she whispered as she grabbed her purse. Finding a breath meant she discreetly placed it in her mouth.
Mom, I don't know if you've met Joseph, said Isaac with a smile. No, but I did see you at the BCC coffee shop last Sunday, she answered as Joseph shook her hand. Patty noted his attire of blue jeans and a white t-shirt paired with a black bow tie. The shirt said, the religious right is religiously wrong. Patty realized she had tilted her head and closed one eye as she checked out his less-than-formal wear for the evening. Becoming aware of this, she straightened up, nearly teetering backwards from such a sharp adjustment of her posture. I've heard a lot about you, she said as Joseph continued to hold her hand to help her maintain balance on the bar stool. You surely attracted people's attention. You have a really awesome son. I'm very impressed with him, said Joseph, nodding his head towards Isaac. And a really great husband, too. Patty stared at him for a moment. She was stunned again at how non-threatening he appeared to be. Well, my husband speaks well of you, too, she lied, unable to stifle a slight laugh. I'm sure he does, Joseph joined in with her laugh, giving a slight bow. Soon Isaac excused himself while Joseph stayed back to order a beer. You're not afraid to drink beer in front of this crowd, Patty asked, giving a wave of her glass towards the room. The Bible doesn't prohibit alcohol, just says to do so in moderation, he smiled. Patty looked down and placed her glass on the bar. Joseph may be as ordinary as she had assessed, but the way he looked at her was definitely not. What? she finally asked under his gaze. I believe the amazing things Isaac will do in his life are going to make up for all you've lost, he said simply as he pulled his wallet from his pocket and paid for his drink. Patty's eyes grew glassy, as if tears had been waiting behind the surface. Joseph hoisted his oversized mug of beer and took a drink. Foam clung to his mustache, making Patty laugh through her burgeoning tears. Joseph wiped his mouth with a gentle smile. You've endured some difficult things as a mother and a wife, he said. Patty nodded and picked up her drink for a sip before turning towards the bar and looking into the mirror behind the bottles and kegs. And there was the one lost. Joseph put his mug down and leaned forward on his seat to meet her eyes in the mirror. Tears escaped her lower eyelids. Tears escaped her lower eyelids. Patty, Father God knows how hard it's been. The time for healing is coming. Patty dabbed her eyes, again checking herself in the bartender's mirror. I can't do this here, she said. Not now. I understand. Joseph picked up his drink with a grin. I'm hopeful because I know what's coming to you and your household will bring out the best in all of you. Your sacrifices will be worth it. Patty patted Joseph's hand as he saluted her with his beer before walking back across the room. The ice clinked in her glass as she struggled to bring it to her lips and take a long sip. I need one more, Patty said to the bartender. She wheeled on her bar stool and faced the room. Joseph definitely had a gift for pinpointing people's needs. If he could tell her where she needed to be healed, perhaps he would know how such healing might occur. More help than I get at my church, Patty said out loud as she drained her refreshed drink. She looked through the bottom of her glass in time to see her husband's disapproving look. Chapter 18. Beckering. We have a problem. Saul might have disapproved of Patty's behavior, but she knew that paled in comparison to the disapproval she had for the circle of men with him. Saul knew she hated the pull these people had on him and their impact on his life. Andy, we're not going to have a problem, are we? 
Hal asked the mayor as he gave Saul a nudge to stop him from staring across the room and bring him back to the conversation. The group included the mayor, Ted Freeman, and Matthew McGinnis. I'm saying we need a little more thought on this, fellas, Andy responded. Andy's posture exposed his inner discomfort. He was almost leaning away from Hal, his face etched with awkward discomfort that didn't fit a man of his physical stature. Sounds like we may have a problem, don't you think, Matt? Hal motioned towards Matthew before tilting his head back and emptying his glass. Andy knows how this works, don't you, Andy? Matthew responded. We all pray together every week for the city. You got elected to stand up against liberals who want to stop our city's progress. You guys can pray all you want, but my new city project is real change for this city. Hal extended his index finger from the empty glass in his hand and lightly poked Andy in the chest. If you're not on board with the annexation, Andy, we're going to have an issue. Andy instinctively batted away Hal's hand like a martial arts master and took a step towards the older man. Gentlemen, stop this, Saul jumped in. We're all brothers here. Saul spotted the waiter and handed him his empty Coke glass and hoped ordering refills could de-escalate the conversation. It didn't. Anyone who messes with my business is not my brother, Hal said, his yellowing teeth displayed in a sneer. Hal took another swig and glared at Andy, seemingly ready to advance again until Matthew pushed Hal aside. Andy will do what we need him to do, Matthew insisted in a low voice aimed at Hal. Relax, don't do this here in public. Guys, it might not be up to me. Andy answered, standing behind the two men and holding his hands up. The council's not going to pass it anyway. You let me handle the city council, Hal flipped around and shot back. Matthew again, holding him in restraint. You can override them, so get ready to do what we elected you to do. Hal, that's enough, Matthew scolded. Saul got involved this time as Andy stepped forward aggressively towards Hal. Saul's strength didn't match the hulking mayor, so he was relieved his mere presence caused Andy to pause his advance. Saul took Andy by the shoulder and guided him away from Hal. Hal's had too much to drink, Saul whispered to Andy. This is getting to me, Saul, Andy lamented. I don't know how much more I can take of these fellas thinking they own me. Andy, you don't want this fight. Saul retorted, not with Matthew and Hal, and particularly not here in public. With a reluctant nod, Andy acquiesced and headed towards the bar to collect himself. Gentlemen, this is a party, Saul said, turning back to the group and holding up his hands to acknowledge the grand venue. Can't we just enjoy the moment? A shriek of feedback came over the speakers on the temporary stage constructed in the large marble foyer. Elsa Kratz stepped to the microphone to kick off the evening's program. Her short hair had been professionally styled, and she wore a business suit befitting her role as MC for the evening. Oh, God, this woman, Saul heard Hal mumble beside him. Welcome, everyone, to this very special night, said Elsa with a wave of her hands. Saul pulled Hal towards him and leaned in to speak directly into Hal's ear as the circle of men fanned out. Matthew leaned in to hear the conversation. Hal, I didn't want to do this in front of Andy, but may I remind you that you told the city council this new city land was to be a farm? Saul remembered Hal's statement during the battle for approval of the North Beckering Shopping Center development. Hal assured the council the land he owned north of the shopping center development was to serve as a farm, despite the opposition's insistence that Hal intended to sprawl the city even farther to the north. 
Hal had convinced the council with a heart-tugging tell about fulfilling his father's lifelong dream. Whose side are you on, Pastor? said Hal, his mouth barely moving as he gritted his teeth. Saul grimaced as he felt his chest tighten and his breathing grow shallow. He didn't like being bullied by Hal and Matthew any more than Andy. If Andy gets loose in his support, Hal continued, the damn observer's going to be all over this. Matthew, you need to make Andy understand the importance of sticking together and let him know there's consequences if he doesn't. I hate that damn newspaper, said Matthew, crossing his arms. Michael Brooks is the king of fake news. Brooks can be pesky, guys, but he has integrity, Saul answered, keeping his voice low. Anybody else you want to defend, Pastor? snapped Hal. Maybe ISIS or North Korea? Clearly, Hal was unwilling to answer Saul's question about the farm. Saul's quick glance to again check on Patty at the bar caused him to remember she had told him ten years ago Hal was lying about the farmland. Hal has great morals, right up to the point where it might cost him $3.50, she had told Saul. Saul smiled at the memory. He realized how smart his wife really was and how uncomfortable he was getting tangled into Hal's ongoing actions. I have an idea, said Matthew. Let's grab the mayor on Sunday at church and bring Evan Brown in and talk this through. Good idea. We'll pull them into your office, Saul, Hal agreed, and I'll get Councilmember Duarte to come too. Evan Brown, the council president, Saul questioned, his voice rising almost an octave. Guys, that's illegal. Our gold sponsor for tonight, Elsa announced the program proceeding on stage, Mr. and Mrs. Hal Beatty. Saul and Matthew stopped their discussion to clap politely as Hal met Betty in front of the stage and the two went up to receive their clear acrylic plaque of honor from that woman. Elsa reached to shake Hal's hand only to see him give her a wave and walk away. Saul and Matthew smiled as Hal rejoined them. He immediately jumped back into the conversation. Saul, you need to remember what's important here, Hal said, leaning in close enough for Saul to smell the liquor on his breath. This project means a lot of money to me and my company. When it goes through, it'll mean a big donation for the new kids building you want. Saul knew he should be offended at Hal's attempt to buy him off. But he'd given a pass to Hal so many times before. What could he do now? But no meeting in my office, guys, Saul responded, trying to take a stand. I don't want the church to be involved with anything illegal. Come on, Saul. This is big boy politics here, Matthew said. As Saul looked at Matthew's cheesy political grin, he was struck at Matthew's ability to think of this as a big game. This isn't the race for junior high president. Saul forced himself to take a breath. The FBI had run a sting operation in town a few years back, and Hal was one of several developers arrested after being recorded offering bribes to public officials for votes. Hal had avoided prison only by a legal technicality worked by his highly paid attorneys. The city followed up the incident by passing a law prohibiting contact between a city official and any representative of a company with business on an upcoming city council meeting agenda. You have to break a few eggs to make an omelet, said Matthew. The other side is fighting a war. We have to fight one too. Lose our soul but gain the world, huh, Matthew? Saul answered back in a weaker voice than he had hoped. Saul's gaze moved from Matt to Hal and saw darkness cross Hal's face, causing a chill to run up Saul's spine. Saul was sure Hal was about to threaten him had the moment not been interrupted by the dimming of the museum lights. Saul frowned in the darkness as he considered the ramifications if he or Andy were ever to do the right thing and stand up to these men.
Chapter 19, Beckering's Past and Future Over 80 years ago, Adam Elder saw the need for Beckering's history to be preserved, and he set out to be its preserver, Elsa read from her script, motioning towards a screen temporarily attached to the wall behind her. The screen came alive with a video about the museum's original benefactor. Please let me introduce to you a great man, Adam Elder. Patty sidled up behind Saul and wrapped her arm around his waist and laid her chin on his shoulder. Saul could smell the rum on her breath, but kept his thoughts to himself as they watched the video together. The music rose from the museum speakers and the screen filled with black and white photos sharing the story of Beckering's history. Mr. Elder tragically lost his wife and daughter when their cruise ship went down in the Pacific Ocean, stated the deep bass of the video's recorded voice. Saul watched with interest as the video zoomed in on a picture of Elder's face. This was a piece of history unfamiliar to Saul. With no survivors in his lineage, Elder poured his money into Beckering's charitable causes, building the city's first convention center, baseball stadium, and of course, its museum, later enlarged to add an art gallery. Saul couldn't help but think that Adam Elder looked like Gomez Adams from the television show The Adams Family. Here's a man who was visionary, Elsa shared at the video's end. He put his money into an endowment that is still benefiting a generation of people Mr. Elder would never meet. Elsa ended the program for the night and moved into the crowd where people were mixing. She ended up face-to-face -face with Hal. Thank you for your generosity to help make this wonderful night possible, Mr. Beatty, Elsa said, again offering her hand to Hal. Hal looked down at her hand for an awkward moment before finally returning the handshake. Um, yes, thank you for the honor, said Hal. Saul flinched as he watched Hal remove his hand from Elsa's as if she might be carrying a virus. Honestly, though, Ms. Kratt, Hal continued, I could think of many things for Mr. Elder to do with his money besides a museum. Again, Saul cringed. He saw Hal wobble a bit. Elsa looked to Saul as if he could help her assess Hal's statement as serious or light-hearted. She offered Hal a pleasant smile before moving on to shake hands with Patty. Hal, however, wasn't finished. What the town really needed was a dam and a good highway, Hal laughed. Saul watched Elsa stop in her tracks, struggling to decide if Hal's needling warranted a response or if she should just let it go as a drunk man's rambling. Saul knew Elsa was on the museum board and likely would not want to wrangle with a museum benefactor. What a waste of money, Hal said even louder, making sure those close by could hear. And we're still wasting it to this day. Hal was clearly prodding Elsa for a response. You're really standing here in this museum telling me Adam Elder should have spent his money drying up our river rather than preserving our history? Oh, don't get all steamed, Mrs. Er, Ms. Kratt. Hal nudged Saul on the arm. I mean, you make it sound like something evil, but you don't understand the economics of a city. Sir, I'm a Harvard graduate, Elsa responded with an exasperated gasp. Ah, forget it. She hesitated before once again moving on from Hal. Saul could see Hal's smug grin of a man feeling victorious. That's right, Miss Kratt. Let's keep our perspective, Hal said, grinning to those nearby. I mean, we're talking about people's hard-earned money here. Without Father God's blessing, you have nothing. The voice came from behind Hal, who looked over his shoulder to see Joseph jumping into the conversation. What the hell do you have to say about it? Hal spat at Joseph, his speech slurring a bit. Hal seemed to realize he had cursed in front of people and lowered his voice and tone. 
I have nothing to say to you. Hal smirked and started to walk away, but Joseph grabbed Hal's arm and wouldn't let go. Saul had become familiar with Joseph's easy smile, but now his face was stern and cold. You've been given a gift to pass on to generations, Joseph said, turning Hal by his elbow to look back at him. Because of your selfishness, you'll be forgotten soon after you depart from this earth. Several people gasped as the group of listeners grew. Saul looked around and saw the silent shock on their faces. Nobody spoke to Hal Beatty like this. You think you're doing well with your money, but actually you're completely blind to how Father measures success, said Joseph, holding Hal in a tense gaze. Saul looked at Hal and could see the older man's shock. Father, you mean God, right? Hal growled. Some of us know him a little better than others, Joseph answered, causing another buzz in the crowd. You... Saul watched as Joseph pointed at the older man and then dropped his hand to his side and turned momentarily to look in the opposite direction. It was an act of such frustration that Saul was sure Joseph had particular contempt for the attitude he saw in people like Hal. You call him God because you know him as a figurehead way off in heaven somewhere, and you want to keep God as far removed as possible so he won't interfere in your business, Joseph said, now turning his torso squarely towards the well-dressed developer. This stance caused Hal to slightly lean back as his young accuser continued to speak. People who truly love God and want to share that love with others can call him Father. Hal's eyebrows shot upwards as he processed what he'd just heard. His face showed the response of a bully struggling with the reality that someone was standing up to him. Well, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive, Hal answered somewhat meekly. Y you should be careful who you judge. This caused Joseph's countenance to lighten a bit. Oh, I'm not your judge, Joseph answered with a slight grin. Father God is, and he declares you a Hezekiah. While Joseph's tone had softened, Saul could see his eyes were locked onto Hal's, who seemed to be looking around for support. Joseph's expression was that of an interrogator playing good cop in an effort to get a confession from a perpetrator. Hezekiah, responded Hal. You've been a Christian for many years, yet you don't know the story of Hezekiah, Joseph mocked the older man. Hezekiah was a king who deserved to be punished, but God said he would punish future generations for his sins rather than punish Hezekiah. Saul looked around. The crowd encircling them had grown to about 50 people. Hezekiah was supposed to benefit future generations, your generation likewise. Hal gave a whimpering scoff, turning his head, seeming to search for any sympathy he had. Trillions and trillions in national debt being laid upon your children's children, Joseph continued. Your generation seems very contempt to give that debt to future generations rather than an inheritance. How's that my fault? Hal whined. How's that make me a, what'd you say, a, has a, what a? You're the symptom of this generation's sin, Joseph responded, again pointing his finger menacingly at Hal. He moved in closer, his smile fading. You care only about short-term gain without a thought to the impact you're having on future beckering generations. Joseph finally broke his gaze from Hal and looked around the room. This reprieve from Joseph's icy stare gave Hal a moment to collect some of his dignity. I'm not going to stand here anymore and be insulted, Hal lightly snarled as he tugged on the bottom of his suit coat to straighten it. Let's get out of here and get some dinner, Saul. Saul looked to search the room and found Patty right behind him, smiling. She was clearly enjoying Hal getting called on the carpet. Saul took her by the arm, helping her to steady, 
as his tipsy wife joined a group of people moving towards the exit doors. As the group was slowed by the two-door bottleneck, Saul heard Joseph make a loud declaration behind them. The Bible says to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth, Joseph said loudly enough to be heard by all in the main room. You were given an amazing country of roads and schools and bridges and railroads, yet this generation has built virtually nothing to benefit their children with the debt they've run up. Father God will not forget. Right, you keep talking, Junior. Hal shouted over his left shoulder, now trying to regain his footing. He turned back to his right and spotted Elsa Kratt. Good day to you, Miss Kratt. There'll not be another check written to this place. Once outside, Hal brusquely grabbed Saul by the bicep, pulling him away from Patty. What are we going to do about that son of a... about that guy? Hal asked, pointing his thumb over the shoulder towards the museum. Some pastors and I have been discussing a plan, Saul answered, relieved to finally have a conversation where his goals were aligned with Hal's. I'll get my men investigating him right away, Hal snorted. We're going to make him pay. Chapter 20. The Other Side of the Religious War. Elsa walked into the event room at the back of the museum. She had changed from formal attire to her more relaxed, normal dress of a white v-neck t-shirt and faded blue jeans with the knees cut open. The Mighty Mississippi's, a jazz band that regularly headlined at the Leaky Drink, was now playing for the post-party entertainment. The Leaky Drink was Elsa's favorite downtown Beckering jazz club. In fact, the Leaky Drink was the only jazz club in Beckering, and truly the only place for live music other than the city's churches on Sunday morning. Elsa entered the room, snapping her fingers along with the music. She noticed Joseph sitting alone, nursing a beer. He looked up at her and waved her over. I think I owe you an apology for my earlier outburst, said Joseph as he stood to greet her. Oh, no apology necessary, she responded. It was so worth it to see the shock on Hal Beatty's face. She gave a huge smile as she sat in the chair opposite him and let out a heavy breath. She was relieved. The hard part of the evening was over and the Blue Bloods had gone home. Then again, my days on the museum board may be over, she laughed. Well, the least I can do is buy you a drink, Joseph responded with a laugh of his own. Elsa had a husky build and had always been a head taller than people her age. This often made her the butt of painful jokes on the elementary school playground and made her young life difficult as she understood herself to be different. This led to a great deal of shame, knowing her family church disapproved of attractions she couldn't shake. She was now grown up and enjoying more freedom as an adult, but those childhood moments still left their mark. You've made quite an impact here in Beckering, Joseph said in a voice loud enough to be heard over the music. When I went to college, I vowed I'd never be back, she shared as she ordered a vodka drink from the waiter. Elsa guarded access to her personal life. She rarely told people how her life changed at Harvard, where she found others with whom she could relate and who encouraged her to be herself. Upon her summer break visit back home, she was quickly reminded of how different Beckering was from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Somehow, though, that didn't stop her from wanting to eventually return. This town has a way of calling you back. She looked thoughtfully across the beautiful museum event room, with ornate high ceilings and sculpted walls, the kind of room modern culture could never seem to replicate. 
My parents were so sweet through all the changes and discovery of my life, she said with a hint of a smile, realizing something of Joseph's presence was enticing her to share beyond her norm. And they did that despite all the grief they received from their church and their friends. I decided I would come back and be the change I wanted to see in my hometown. Elsa eyed the man across the table. Her family had generally avoided the church and Christians over the past few years. The fact that Joseph would even sit alone with Elsa made her more intrigued to have a conversation with him. Here's a crazy idea, Joseph responded, his lip curling playfully. Let's dance. Elsa laughed nervously. You serious? She said, finding a sudden bashfulness despite herself. What the hell? I knew I took those swing dance classes last summer for some reason. I've been known to do a boogie-woogie or an East Coast swing myself, Joseph shot back. The two joined several other couples in front of the stage. Elsa was shocked at Joseph's expertise and sheer joy in dancing. He was clearly a man who enjoyed life, not like the other church people she knew. I'm sorry for your church experience, Joseph shouted so she could hear as they danced together. Elsa saw the sincerity in his eyes and in the upturn of his cheeks. It was the same soft, sympathetic look Elsa had witnessed as he spoke to Becky at the North Beckering Grill. God never wanted his followers to be this judgmental. Well, that's a message our wonderful local Christian community needs to hear, Elsa shouted back as Joseph took her hand and spun her around. The two laughed and clapped as the song came to an end. You have a lot to say about the Christians here in Beckering, Joseph said, trying to catch his breath from the movement on the dance floor. Do you think your community is in need of a little heart check, too? Elsa thought those twinkling eyes were piercing as she prepared to answer, yet he still seemed as gentle as could be. What are you trying to say? She answered. He smiled as the next song kicked in and they began to dance again. What your side of all these political arguments is failing to realize is you're the same as the other side. He leaned in and spoke toward Elsa's ear to be heard. We all like to win and be powerful. Like the religious right? Elsa answered back in a loud voice, her brow creasing in puzzlement as they continued to swing with the music. As they joined hands and came together for a moment, she added, They're judgmental and exclusive. We try to love everyone. You don't love them, Joseph challenged, stepping back and clapping with the beat. Elsa stopped dancing and looked at Joseph, incredulous. The churches are so set in their ways, she argued. You can't talk reasonably with somebody who gets their rules from, from God. Have you ever tried? Joseph took hold of her hands to entice her to continue to dance, but Elsa stood firm in her frustration. Joseph finally stopped moving as well. Like I always say, Elsa, religion kills. Joseph motioned her to the table and grabbed his mug and emptied it as they sat back down. You're in a war against one another, but I promise it's not a war ordained by Father God. Your side has become as religiously fervent as theirs. It's impossible for two sides to have healthy interaction when you're in a winner-take-all battle. We're not fighting a war. They are, she said, pounding her finger into the table. We're fighting for people's right to live normal lives. But doesn't your side have more power now? Joseph quickly answered back. Aren't you winning in the courts and in culture? The question is, will your side handle its power any better than they have? Or be as religious and zealous about your beliefs as they are? 
Elsa looked at him, tight-lipped. Let me explain with a story, he said. There was a man who owned a very large farm, and he passed away. His two workers, who had operated the farm for years, were called to hear the reading of his will. The farm is to be divided, and each of you are receiving a parcel, said the trustee of the will. The two men were very excited at the generosity of the old man and gave each other a hug and a pat on the back. Each was ready to build his own farm after working as employees for so long. As the parcels were laid out, it was realized the younger man had received the great majority of the farm while the older worker had received only a small remnant. This caused the older worker to be very jealous and upset. The younger worker held a party and celebrated his good fortune with his friends, and he didn't invite the older worker. One day, the trustee showed up at the farmland and called the two men together. There's been a mistake, he said. The parcels were accidentally switched. The larger portion belonged to the older worker, the trustee stated, while the younger man would have the smaller one. Well, this obviously did not sit well with the younger worker, but the older one took full advantage. He enjoyed superior farming profits and even began to undercut the price of the younger man to try to drive him out of business. The situation became dire for the younger worker and he began to react inappropriately. He started a fire in the older worker's fields, destroying a big portion of the older man's crops. Then he destroyed the older man's water pumps, causing several other fields to dry up. Knowing it was the younger man who caused these problems, the older worker called the police to prosecute and obtained a writ of order from the court to stop the younger man from harvesting any crops until all this disorder was sorted out. Soon, both farms had ceased production and the deceased farmer's beautiful land was falling into disrepair. Upon hearing about the situation, the trustee again called the men together, this time before the court. He had a proposal. The trustee told the judge he knew the old man loved each of his workers equally and it must have been some mistake by the surveyor that caused the parcels to be divided unevenly. The trustee suggested a resurvey of the land so the boundaries could be drawn with equal portions for each worker. The judge agreed to the plan and to drop all matters before the court on one condition. The two men had to work together for one year to make sure both farms were equally successful and rebuilt for the future. Joseph's story ended, and he leaned back in his chair. Cheeky story, Elsa laughed and took another drink. Joseph merely watched her. I get the point you're trying to make, she finally answered his stare. She was a little annoyed as she put down her drink. You're trying to say people with political power could save a lot of grief by reaching out to those with less power. And if you don't, Joseph jumped in, those with less power are going to react as victims and it's going to be bad for everyone. The Bible does say, blessed are the peacemakers. Christians must not read the Bible then because they are definitely not peacemakers. Christians have marginalized themselves in culture because they truly believe they're fighting for truth, Joseph stated. They don't realize God would prefer they fight for people. But Father God wants your side to love your enemies also with a little less self-righteousness. That's bullshit, Joseph, she exclaimed, slamming her drink so ferociously on the table that half of the liquid spilled over the top, down her hand, and onto the scarred wood. Wait, follow me here, Joseph responded, holding his hands up in mock surrender. I'm not the enemy here. 
Elsa nodded as she began to wipe up her mess with a paper napkin. Take environmentalists, for example, he began to explain, turning his empty mug in a circle absent-mindedly. They have a history of a righteous cause. Christians failed to protect the environment because of their theology and their political beliefs. So Father God blessed the environmentalists and their cause, even though they believed more in the creation than they believed in him as creator. He needed someone to take care of the planet, since his people wouldn't follow his command to do so. Hmm. Elsa mumbled, unsure of where Joseph was going with this. Both stopped for a moment as the waiter brought each another drink and used a wet towel to clean up Elsa's mess. Okay, that's clean, Joseph said, nodding towards the table. Now, let me see if I can clean up my point. Elsa couldn't help but smile. She found this man fascinating and somehow safe. She wanted to know what was coming next, even as she anticipated her disagreement. As the balance of power began to tip in the favor of the environmentalist, Joseph continued, they could no longer be satisfied with trying to win a sensible argument. It became a zero-sum game. That's the nature of human beings. Joseph paused to sip his refilled mug. Development and building always become the enemy. There could be no reasonable discussion. Every lizard, bird, and you name it became a weapon. If we're all honest with each other, it quite often isn't about saving the lizards for the environmentalist today as much as it is about maintaining power and punishing any opponent. Elsa stared at him, and he seemed to pause for a moment, gauging her response before he continued. I could say the same for unions and other groups. Your side is on the verge of becoming the self-righteous religious ones, intolerant of anyone who disagrees with your position. I'm calling bullshit on this, Joseph. Elsa shifted sideways in her chair as the music suddenly stopped and she looked around to see who might have overheard her language. After a long moment of silence, she adjusted back towards him. That's BS, she said with greater control. If it's BS, then why would people on your side want to destroy a family's cake business for not serving a cake at a same-sex wedding? They refused a cake because the customers were gay. Tears welled up in Elsa's eyes. All they wanted was a cake for their special day, and the religious bastards wouldn't do it because of their stupid religion. That's always their excuse for their bigoted behavior. I understand, and I would have told them to just make the cake and love the couple, said Joseph, now looking directly at Elsa with a serious stare. Elsa, you wouldn't make a kosher Jewish restaurateur serve non-kosher food or an African-American caterer to serve at a white supremacist event, would you? Elsa looked up as the band announced it was taking a break, and she looked back to see Joseph studying her again. Religion says we have to punish these cake makers to pay for the sins of a generation. Like the farmers in the story, that only works as long as you hold the power, and it sets up the other side to feel victimized with no hope but to try and steal the power back by any means necessary. Joseph stopped, and Elsa watched him pick up his mug as if to take another drink, but he set the mug down before it even reached his lips. I know they've hurt you, Elsa Emil, Joseph said, looking at her with the same fatherly look he had shown Becky. Elsa couldn't stop herself from closing her eyes and taking a big breath. What just happened there? he asked. You said my middle name. That name has always made me feel special. Not many other things in my childhood did. As Elsa shared, she stared far away at a memory seen only by her. My mother chose that name for me. 
Father God loves that name too, Joseph said. Your name speaks of the mercy you have for others and your pastor's heart for them. Pastor? Me? Elsa snickered at the thought. Pastor means shepherd, Joseph explained. A pastor is someone who gathers and tends to the needs of others. I've watched you. You're a great pastor to your people. But some of that pastoring heart comes out of your own pain. Elsa sat back in her chair for a moment and looked down at her drink. She decided, again, Joseph was someone with whom she could share. Listen, I'm a big girl. I've always been able to take it. Elsa tried to look at Joseph, but then looked down at the table. It's, Elsa struggled. It's crazy to have sweet elderly women come up to me and tell me I'm going to hell. Elsa felt a tear escape the corner of her eye and quickly dabbed at it with the wet napkin in her hand. Finally, her face grew stern as she leaned forward with her hands against the table and looked Joseph in the eye. Saul Thompson? Hal Beatty? she exclaimed. Who the hell are they to tell me what I am and what everyone should believe? Pious sons of bitches is what they are. Elsa looked up at Joseph as tears began to overflow the bottoms of her eyes. Her stomach churned. Continuing on would mean she would not be able to constrain her emotions. Finally, she breathed another deep sigh. I don't know why this is messing me up, she said, trying to smile at him while fighting back tears. You have a way of doing this to people, don't you? Father God wants you to be free from the pain, he answered gently. God, those God people tell me God hates me. Do you believe Father God hates you? The question knocked Elsa from her train of thought. If he doesn't hate you, then it doesn't matter what they think. I really don't know. I Well, does he? You, you seem to know him. Well, you can know him too. He cares about you. But Elsa averted her eyes to look again at the ceiling. As she studied its patterns, she soon noticed Joseph had been silent for some time as she sorted through her thoughts. But I'm gay. Just then the band reintroduced themselves and started playing again. Joseph leaned in closely. Why don't we ask God what he thinks? Joseph smiled from his forward-leaning posture and gave her a look of great anticipation. What? Now? Elsa looked around the room with an amused half-smile. She almost expected a camera from some silly reality show to pop out from hiding. I can't talk to God with jazz music playing. Of course you can, Joseph laughed, nodding and pointing towards the band. I happen to know Father God loves jazz, particularly this band. Joseph's humor gave Elsa the chance to laugh, even as she clasped her eyelids closed in the continuing battle to keep tears from fighting their way from her eyes. You make God sound real, she said, dabbing a napkin under one eye and then the other. She sat her new napkin on the table and studied the face of her new friend. How does it happen? I pray or something or maybe a seance? Now you're making fun of me, he responded, wrinkling his smiling face. Sorry, Elsa thought how nice to be able to joke in this moment. Ask him in your thoughts, Joseph encouraged her. You don't even need to say thee or thou. Ask him, were you with me on the playground when those kids called me bad names? The moment had a surreal feel as Elsa found herself imagining Joseph's prayer in her mind. What'd he say? Joseph asked after a short silence. They gazed at each other and Elsa felt a shiver run down her spine. I, I don't really know, she stammered. I guess somehow 
in some dimension of the universe, I can feel God's love. Sound weird? Not at all, Joseph smiled. Elsa felt the warmth of his assurance. What else? I remembered a teacher in high school, Elsa said, shaking her head and smiling as she stared down at the table. Strange, the picture popped into my head from nowhere. That teacher, Mr. Tally, I haven't thought of him in years. He was so kind. He told me I was a great person and inspired me to dream big. Now the tears came in force as she tried in vain to halt their advance with her saturated paper napkin. I don't know if I'd survived without encouragement like that. She cried fully now. Joseph handed her the napkin from under his mug and she covered her face. Do you think Father God brought this memory to you? Joseph asked. Elsa nodded without uncovering her eyes. Well, you've heard his voice then. Elsa was pondering what had just occurred when she heard laughter behind her from people chatting at the next table. The private woman realized how public this display of emotion really was. I better go freshen up, she said, rising from her chair. I don't want to look like crap the rest of the night. A new life journey has begun for you, Joseph said, looking up at her from his seat. Let me encourage you to check out Pastor Christian Anderson's church. They'll walk out a God relationship with you. Elsa breathed in again to collect herself and smiled at Joseph. Well, we'll see, she said, nervously drumming her fingers on the table. Oh, one more thing, Joseph suddenly shouted out, grabbing Elsa's hand as she started to pass by him. What's that? Be kind to Pastor Saul, Joseph said, releasing her hand to mindlessly scratch his black beard. I know he hasn't always been kind to you, but he's a good man. He's going to need friends. You're going to need friends, Joseph, she said with a serious look. God never promised me beckering would be easy. I made that bargain, he said with a light grimace. I worry, though. Saul's about to be hit in ways he never imagined. Okay, there are three things I want you to find out now that you've listened to this segment of the Joseph Comes to Town audiobook series. Go right now to our NPE Patreon page and find out these three things. One, when is the next section of the audiobook going to be released? And two, where can you find my exclusive commentary for this section of the book? And three, when will we be sharing a live discussion group about this section of the book and a whole lot more? I look forward to sharing that time with you so much discussing the book, its concepts, and just this fact, that God is not mad at you. In fact, it's quite different about how you can walk out your faith and we can do that together. So bless you as you search that out with me. Love to you all. See you next time on Joseph Comes to Town, the audiobook series.